You are Locked On Rockets, your daily podcast on the Houston Rockets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome, everyone, to Locked on Rockets, your home for podcast coverage of the Houston Rockets. I'm your host, Ben DuBose. Today's show is brought to you courtesy of our friends and partners over at SeatGeek. Download the SeatGeek mobile app and enter the promo code LONBA, and you can get a $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase. So as we chat on this Friday afternoon, it's the end of a busy week for the Rockets. No Carmelo Anthony trade talks have yet to materialize again. We do expect those discussions to be back on the front burner at some time before training camp begins, but that will probably take at least another week to 10 days before the opening of camp truly gets in sight. This week, however, was not about that. This week was about the official announcement. Just 50 days after the Rockets went for sale, Les Alexander, owner for the last 25 years, has struck a deal with Tillman Fertitta, local Houston billionaire, to sell the team for $2.2 billion. That's a record NBA sales price. And, of course, it ends the Les Alexander era in Houston and transfers ownership, assuming the deal is approved by the NBA's Board of Governors, which it almost inevitably will be in the next 30 to 45 days. And it transfers the ownership to Tillman Fertitta, a Houston billionaire, in his own right. And I gave my initial impressions of the deal on Tuesday. Largely, from my standpoint, it's a positive development. Tillman's a local guy. He's very well tied into the Houston community. He's a fan of the Rockets. So that passion, that's always fun to make it seem like the owner has a similar stake in the team that you do, at least from an emotional perspective. I think that's something that fans want to hear. Beyond that, I argue that based on his time with the University of Houston, he's shown that he gets it from a sports perspective and what it takes to be a successful sports executive. Now, I know he's mostly known over the course of his business career for owning Landry's and the Golden Nugget, but as I argued Tuesday, I think it's actually U of H that's the better parallel for what he would do with the Rockets because ever since Tillman, a U of H alum, has gotten particularly involved with the Board of Regents at the University of Houston. He joined the board in 2009, became chair in 2014. He has had a very active hand in athletics decision-making, and he's been actively involved in everything from major facility upgrades to hiring big-time coaches like Kelvin Sampson, like Tom Herman, et cetera, et cetera. And as I said on Tuesday's show, I don't think there's any athletic program in the country that has consistently outkicked its coverage to the extent that the University of Houston has over the last decade. By that, I mean no one has done more with less. Despite limited resources, Tillman has shown me, and this is my perspective, again, I'm a University of Missouri alum, I'm not a Houston alum, but from what I can tell on the outside, Tillman gets the concept that sometimes you need to invest proactively in sports. In other words, you can't wait and depend on the revenues to build before investing if you want to get to that highest level. Sometimes you have to invest beforehand and trust that when that investment Uh, does what it's supposed to do on the court, on the field, wherever it may be, then the money will come in later. And that's what a lot of uh, cold-hearted businessmen don't seem to get. And so this week, I feel like the feedback has largely been positive around Houston. Certainly, he's a well-known guy in Houston, bit of a celebrity, very successful. He's a fan. So I would say 80% has been very positive. But what limited negatives I've seen have tied into his time with Landry's or the Golden Nugget. And generally, and I would say this also happens a lot with any billionaire, you have certain people that have come across him over the course of his career who say, I had so-and-so experience with the guy, 
and I thought he was cheap. And the first thing I would say is that it's awfully easy to say that about a billionaire. I think in general, it, it can be a hard position to make friends because everyone in the world, if you encounter someone like that, has the highest of expectations. So it's very easy for any minor event, and you're talking about someone that has a net worth of $3.1 million, as Tillman Fertitta does, it's very easy to rub someone the wrong way and get these things blown out of proportion. But bigger than that, the reason that I haven't really bought the small negatives that we've seen either on Twitter, on message boards, et cetera, in terms of uh, Tillman Fertitta's reputation is because to me, Landry's Golden Nugget, it's an apples and oranges comparison to sports. When you look at other industries, restaurants, casinos, stuff like that, one of the easiest ways to boost profits is to take a hard look at your cost and to try and cut costs where you can. That's the way a lot of industries work. Sports is the exception to the rule. Because sports, and especially professional sports, at the highest level, the competition for the types of players, and I'll use Chris Paul for one example because the Rockets got him this offseason, and he will be a free agent next summer, and if the Rockets weren't willing to offer him what it takes, could he look elsewhere? In theory, absolutely he could. The competition for those types of guys is so steep that if you look at sports as, quite frankly, if you look at it in terms of a cost-cutting venture, then over the long haul, you're not going to succeed. Because what ends up happening, of course, if you look at it that way, then it's hard to make a case for re-signing Chris Paul, especially with the luxury tax that the Rockets are almost certain to face after this year. And the Rockets, on the, the on-court product, would suffer to such an extent that whatever short-term savings you have from avoiding the luxury tax, you lose that and then some down the road by not having a competitive basketball team. So everyone, I think, that gets into, I shouldn't say everyone, but a lot of people that get into sports ownership, especially if you followed Les Alexander and this great organization here in Houston over the past 25 years, I think it's easy to understand the nature of proactive investing, which is something that Les has done a lot making these proactive investments, and I think it's something that Tillman has shown at the University of Houston that he is willing to do. So, again, I'm not going to, and if you've personally heard one of these stories about Tillman, Landry's, Golden Nugget, anywhere else over the course of his business career, I'm not going to say it's not true. What I will say is that it's an apples and oranges comparison from traditional business to sports. Because traditional business, the margins aren't so tight that any cost-cutting will kill you. As opposed to the NBA, folks, the bar as high as it is right now with the Golden State Warriors in the era of LeBron James, et cetera, et cetera, the bar is so incredibly high that even the slightest bits of cost-cutting just for short-term benefits will have tremendous long-term repercussions. And for, Til for Tillman to buy the Rockets really at a high, because at $2.2 billion, it's the highest sales price ever for an NBA team, and he paid a bit of a premium to close the process early. This deal closed after just six weeks, as opposed to the three to nine months that, well, it hasn't closed, it's been agreed to, but more or less. Uh, the deal was agreed to in six weeks after CEO Tad Brown said it would take three to nine months. So Tillman paid a premium to get it done now at the peak of the Rockets value with James Harden signed to a record $230 million over the next six years with Daryl Morey on a new contract, Tad Brown on a new contract, up and down the organization, there's stability. So those are not the marks of a guy who's buying, whose mentality is to come in and cut costs. Because quite frankly, if it was, there would have been a million other better times to try and make this move or 
there were other teams you could go after. To buy the Houston Rockets now, at this point in their franchise history, it is all about the here and now. So just from a logic standpoint, I don't see cost cuts being a part of the, the near-term future for the Rockets. But beyond that, I think it's obvious that the, you know, the fear-mongering I would say out there based on random anecdotes from Landry's or Golden Nugget or stuff like that, yeah, at those levels, you might not notice some of the cuts. At the NBA level or in upper college athletics, you would notice the, the bar is so high that in sports, it takes that proactive investment. So in my opinion, if you're looking for a parallel at what in Tillman's past is going to get, shed some light on the kind of owner he might be with the Rockets, I don't think it's what he's done in, from a business standpoint. I think it's what he's done at the University of Houston on that Board of Regents, chairman of the board since 2014, because that, to me, that sports angle is a lot more relevant to the Rockets because sports is a very different business than anyone else. Because as anyone that's been around sports at a high level can attest, the margin the margin is just so thin between success and failure that uh, cost cuts for the sake of cost cuts, you're not going to last very long at all. So as I explained Tuesday, based on his time at U of H, based on the proactive investments they've made, upgrades to the basketball facilities, the new football stadium, Tom Herman, uh, Kelvin Sampson, all the A-plus hires they've made over the years, Todd Whitting in baseball as well. Let's throw him out there. I'm optimistic about that. But as I said, I'm a Mizzou guy. I'm not a Houston guy. I know superficially what he's done, but I don't know the in-depth the way someone that closely follows the University of Houston might. So to shed a little bit more on that, I'm going to be joined momentarily by Matt Jackson. You know him, I think, well, most of my listeners should be very familiar with him. Longtime veteran Houston sports radio voice, great sports talk guy. He's worked with the Rockets before on shows on their website as well. But Matt, longtime voice in the Houston community, extremely well respected. But in terms of U of H, he's a Cougar alum. If you follow him on Twitter, at MJ4Sports, you'll see that he goes to pretty much every U of H game under the sun. Very active in that Cougar community. And he's got a lot of opinions on Tillman. I've talked to him about Tillman on several times over the years. So when I was going through my Rolodex this week, thinking, hey, who might give the best perspective on Tillman and what experience at U of H might be most relevant to the Rockets, Matt was the guy that kept coming back. So I am thrilled to uh, welcome him to Locked on Rockets for the first time. So we're getting him connected right now. But while I do that, I do want to pause for a moment and acknowledge our awesome sponsors over at SeatGeek because without them, we may not be able to bring this show to you as frequently as we do. SeatGeek, of course, they've got a lot of benefits. They cross-compare tickets across all the various websites. They grade tickets from 1 to 100. You know you're getting the best bang for your buck. But what I think I like about them most is their new mobile app. It is so easy to navigate. Literally two taps of your finger. You can buy and sell tickets. And so when you look at the next couple of months in Houston, the launch of the rocket season with James Harden and Chris Paul, the Astros postseason run, Getting tickets is going to be at a premium in Houston. You're not always going to be able to get from the box office. And if you do, well, a lot of times the tickets are going to be marked up through dynamic pricing to where it may not be economical to go that route anyway. So you're going to have to buy on the secondary market a lot. And in my opinion, amongst those secondary market sources, SeatGeek is by far the most friendly, both from a business standpoint and also an efficiency standpoint, because that new mobile app, again, just search for SeatGeek on your mobile device. It's so friendly and so easy. And the best part of it, you guys, as my listeners here at Lockdown Rockets, y'all all get a $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase, and it's just so easy. To get it, here's what you do. Download the SeatGeek mobile app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, then enter the promo code LONBA. 
From there, that LOMBA promo code will get you $20 off of your first SeatGeek purchase. So remember, download that, download that SeatGeek mobile app and then enter the promo code LOMBA. I believe it will also work if you want to go on your browser to SeatGeek.com. So with that said, I think y'all have heard enough from me this week about Tillman Fertitta. Let's go to one of the experts that's followed him very well. Got Matt Jackson, longtime Houston sports radio voice on the line, and going to talk with him in just a moment about his impressions of Tillman Fertitta and what that might mean for your Rockets going forward. Hey, Matt, how's it going, man? Fantastic. Glad to have you on. Now, I spent the last couple of minutes breaking down, you know, your history in Houston, everything from you being an alum to, of course, the great job you've done for a long time in Houston Sports Talk Radio here. But beyond that, beyond just being an alum, you know, I know you and me, we've talked plenty about U of H, and I know you're something of an expert, I would say, about that athletic program, particularly in the last 10 years. So for my listeners, anybody who doesn't know your story, give us a little bit of background on just how well you know U of H, and of course, by extension, the role that um, Tillman Fertitta has played there over the past decade or so. Well, I, when I, I attended University of Houston in the, in the mid to late 90s, and I, you know, I pretty much threw myself into uh, the athletics program then. I covered, uh, I covered basketball and football program um, during some of the dark years um, when Kim Helton was the head coach. The, uh, the much uh, forgotten Clyde Drexler era <laughs> of basketball. Um, you know, so I, I was very familiar with, with the athletic department, not only as a, as a student, as a fan, um, but certainly that's kind of how I got my start in radio as well. I kind of was given the moniker Cougar Matt um, by uh, Lance Erline back in the day. Mm. Uh, and so everybody pretty much, that's how they know me, regardless of anything I've done over the last 15, 16 years. A lot of people still refer to me as Cougar Matt just because I'm I'm an unabashed homer when it comes <laughs> yeah. to uh, U of H. But you know, I but I, I will tell you that I'm not I'm definitely not the most popular uh, person uh, from a um, from an alumni standpoint either because you know I don't sugarcoat things right. and I don't I don't kiss a lot of asses and um, you know if, if I think the university's made a, a, a bad decision or has made a mistake I call them out on it. I mean. Uh, I, I can't tell you the number of uh, belligerent uh, custodial texts I got. I, I, I got from Tom Penders over the years <laughs> when he was the um, when he was the coach at U of H because I just you know I just thought the guy was not a good guy and didn't treat his players well and so on and so forth. And I said it on the radio and he ripped me a new one for it. And I just <laughs> eventually ignored them and um, so on and so forth. But you know I because I. Always, for the most part, I think, um, did my best to market the university and to, uh, you know, to try to drive them business. You know, I, I, I developed some pretty good ties within that community. And, um, you know, if nothing else, you know, they, they, they will occasionally use me as a, a sounding board or as, you know, what do you think about this idea or what do you think about this? And, you know, I've got that, some pretty good ties with people that, uh, you know, well, we had the U of H athletic department that have gone on to bigger, uh, bigger and better things, you know, some guys that maybe someday will, will come back, um, you know, to U of H, guy like Chris Pesman, who um, is currently the number two at uh, Cal Berkeley. Um, he helped get uh, NRG Stadium built, uh, was involved with a lot of um, 
U of H athletics as well. Probably would have been in line to be the AD at U of H, um, but kind of kind of had a falling out during the uh, during the Tony Levine uh, regime, as it were. Um, but there's a lot of guys that you know I'm, I'm still pretty close with. Um, you know, within this current um, U of H regime, certainly. You know, I know Tillman very well. Um, you know, I've, I've done a lot of work with him when he first opened his casinos. Mm. Um, did a lot of marketing work with him uh, for the Golden Nugget. Did a lot of shows out there. Um, you know, I, I know him personally. Um, you know, when when UVA hired Tom Herman, uh, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, behind the scenes, Tillman was working to bring Mike Leach in, and he mm. very quietly had. Um, kind of under under the table with some of his uh, close confidants, arranged a couple of um, you know kind of uh, behind the scenes meetings with some of Mike Leach's go betweens and uh, just seeing if they were going to be able to make the numbers work and um, you know that didn't end up panning out but um, you know he Tillman Tillman is is definitely uh, probably the biggest name that matters in U H athletics and. And um, I don't know if that will change now that he's going to have a uh, an NBA franchise uh, to run, but um, he certainly has has been the most important figure uh, in the athletic department probably over the last, I'd say, at least five years. Yeah, I looked up his timing. He joined the Board of Regents in 2009 and then, of course, was been chairman of the board since 2014, which was during the both the Kelvin Sampson, Tom Herman hires, then... Uh, uh, most recently, Major Applewhite. Matt, I, I like that you're, you know, you're a fan, but you're also, as you said, not afraid to hold the mirror up. One of the periods that I grew to have a lot of respect for you, you warned me about Mac Rhodes beforehand. I think, uh, <laughs> you know, yeah, well, the reason, well, I remembered even when he was at U of H, and you're normally a very positive U of H guy, you know, you had some, uh, some reservations about him. And at a time, you know, when Mac went from U of H to Mizzou, most in the sports media industry considered it a home run hire. You were one of the few that did not. And the reason that I gained a lot of respect for you on that, because I knew that you had a better idea of how those decisions at U of H were actually made. Whereas a lot of people on the outside, you know, people saw all this momentum at U of H, but if you're not really, you know, that aware of how the department works, then it's just easy to say, hey, this guy's the athletic director, so he must be responsible for this. Whereas in reality, there's well, a... I, yeah, let me tell you what I found. What I have found over the last 10 years yeah. is that the, the popularity or the, uh, the ability of, uh, of a hire is directly related to the access that person gives to the media. Mm. Because, yeah. you, you, you know... That's the only way that you you have a guy like Tony Levine that's written up as a coach to watch or somebody to hire. Um, you know, that, that's how – look at – I mean, almost universally, you look at college football hires every single year, and I'd say 99% of them, the, the write-up is, oh, this was a great hire by University X. Mm. And that's not mathematically possible. Um, right. Some of these are bad hires. They just are. But you're not going to have people saying that because either they have to cover the program on a day-in, day-out basis, or they don't want to lose access. Mm. Uh, look, look what's happening at the University of Texas right now yep. with Tom Herman shutting everything down. And you know he didn't have the most open program at, when he was at U of H either. Um, but uh, the, a lot of these bigger universities, I think, um, you know what they found. Uh, you know, I think LSU was one of the first ones that really did this in terms of just. Shutting, shutting down a lot of access is that if they're big enough and they have enough employees on hand, they can produce enough information 
on their own to keep fans' appetites wet, mm. or at least they, they, it, you know, they, they think they can. They might be right about that. Um, and, uh, you know, as a, as a former uh, slash current media member, I, I think we all have to somewhat recognize the fact that, um, you know, to, to some extent, they don't need us as much anymore. Uh, at least the you know the the bigger institutions. Mm-hmm. Somebody like U of H, U of H needs all the media attention it can get. Yeah. Um, University of Texas, not so much. Uh, so um, you know that's that's another thing that I think is coming to play too is because of social media and the ways that a university can get its message out there. The media uh, is uh, the most important part of the media now is you know from an investigative standpoint. Yes. But that's not something that most colleges or professional teams are going to help you with. True. And I want to get into Tillman at U of H, the dynamics there that he had behind the scenes in just a minute. But uh, before we get into too much inside baseball with U of H, just want to get your initial reaction last Tuesday. Obviously, you know Tillman well, both the, the job he's done within the department as well as on a personal level. And I know you're a big Rockets guy, too. Obviously, you know, you're a Houstonian. You've followed them a while. You've done the Rockets cast before, all that kind of stuff. So I know it's kind of combining two things. But, you know, when you heard last Tuesday morning that Tillman got the Rockets, what's your initial reaction? Are you pretty pumped by this? I mean, I, I was not surprised. I'm sure there's part of him that thinks that he overpaid by, you know, <laughs> whatever whatever $2.2 billion minus $80 million is. That's probably what he thinks yeah. he overpaid for it because uh, – What's the, the what's interesting to me is that um, I guess over time, you know, bygones are bygones because things were very, very, very chippy um, back when the team was for sale originally, and when Tillman got out out bought bid by less by four million bucks. Yeah, eighty five to eighty one. Yeah. He, he tried to everything uh, under the sun to get that thing prevented, and really tried to paint Les as an outsider, and um, you know, and it, which he was, but. Really, that shouldn't matter. I mean, any idea back then and certainly now that the Rockets are, are getting moved anywhere is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so I, I, back then, you know, that shouldn't have been a big deal. Um, but he, he kind of tried to make it that way. Um, I, one thing you have to realize about Tillman, I mean, he has he has a lot of irons in the fire. He's a, he is a successful businessman, mm-hmm. but he is also very ADD. I mean. This, to some extent, is his new bright, shiny toy. Um, just like being chairman of the Board of Regents was, you know, kind of his new thing. Just like the television show is, is kind of his new thing. And before that, his casinos, and then he's opening his casinos in Louisiana. Um, I, I, you'll find that he may have a, a, a difficult time, um, you know, being um, patient or being... Mm-hmm. Um, I, happy for a long time, being in charge of, you know, having one thing that's kind of at, at, at front and center, it doesn't mean that he can't be good uh, as an NBA owner. I just, um, I would just caution people that uh, if they think they're getting kind of a continuation of Les Alexander, I don't, I don't necessarily think that's the case. Yeah, I would say he's certainly more aggressive. I'm glad you made that parallel to, you know, the shiny new toy and his time at U of H, because that's what it seemed like to me as well, that, you know, obviously he's pleased with Landry, Golden Nugget, et cetera, et cetera, but 
that time at U of H, you could tell these last eight years, he's gotten so active and, you know, energetic. And one of the points that I've made, you know, a board of regents member, even a chairman, does not have to take that level of investment in uh, or, or interest in athletics. But Tillman certainly has, and that's the positive. You know, if, if fans want passion, he certainly has passion. He wants to win. But, yeah, it, it's different than Les, who largely stayed in the shadows. Tillman, definitely his time at U of H um, shows you that he's not afraid to, you know, use his celebrity to get out there. What are the things well, that, I think, Go ahead, sorry. I think, I think Tillman saw, you know, I think Tillman saw an, an opportunity. I think he thought that the Big 12 was a was a much closer to reality than it ended up being and mm -hmm. i think he really wanted to do everything he could to throw resources into that i think it would have been beneficial for him um you know for some of his ancillary businesses i mean he's very involved with you know uh, from a university standpoint with the um with the, the hilton uh hotel and restaurant school mm -hmm. and a lot of things that go on there and so there were a lot of reasons that would have been beneficial for him other than just, you know, Cougar pride for him to get involved. Um, but I think that kind of cause got him really involved and got him throwing a lot of his money in. Yes. Um, you know, a lot of U of H fans are um, kind of at least thinking that the reality is that now that, we're, that, that U of H is not going to Big 12, that a lot of that money is going to go away. And I think there's some reason to think that, too, when you look at, at least in my opinion, the caliber of hire they made from a football coaching standpoint, um, you know, the jury is certainly out on Major Applewhite, but if, to me, if you had, um, if you had uh, unlimited resources, which at least that seemed to be the way that they were operating um, at least the last three or four years, I would have thought they could have, you know, at least attempted to come up with a, with a, a better, a more accomplished coach that probably would have cost them a little more money. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll have to wait, wait and see on that. The angle that kind of encouraged me from the whole Big 12, and I understand that he was trying to position U of H for a Big 12 membership that ultimately he thought was closer than ever than it actually was. But what encouraged me, at least from a sports parallel, and this is why I think his time at U of H sheds a little bit more light on the type of owner he might be relative to, say, Landry's or Golden Nugget, is that you know when he saw the opportunity, he wasn't afraid to invest proactively. Now, I'm certainly not going to say that, you know, he'll never cut any costs because, you know, anyone that's ever run a business, I mean, it'd be silly to say that. But the one thing I liked is that the revenues that Houston's had certainly don't justify hires like, well, it started with Kevin Sumlin, but certainly Tom Herman, Kelvin Sampson, um, Major, the jury's still out on him, but at least on paper, he's got some quality connections. But my argument is that over the last decade, I don't think any, uh, major college athletics program has done more with less than U of H. When you factor in the level of hires, obviously the new football stadium, the upgrades to basketball, all the things that have been going on, yet without anywhere close to a Big 12 SEC revenue stream. So a big part oh, of that, in yeah, my opinion, right. a big part of it has been Tillman authorizing the, the, the spending. And so that's what I kind of encourages me. And I, I guess is it, in your eyes, is it fair to be encouraged by that, to say this is a guy who gets the concept of investing proactively? Well, you know, I, I, I think you're right about that. Uh, you know, they've invested a lot, and they've really not come close to putting the athletic department in the black. Um, and, and I don't know when that happens either. Uh, you know, they've got the new basketball arena opening up uh, after, but it's not this year, but the year after mm -hmm. this. And, and they're, they're charging an exorbitant amount of money for the floor seats, and they're, they're actually – actually sold quite a few of them, which, which kind of uh, surprised me a little bit. Mm. Um, 
but I don't know that in even when uh, the American Athletic Conference um, you know negotiates a new TV deal, I don't know that it's ever going to get to a level where where they can get the program in the black. I I, I really think it was kind of a, a a Big 12 or bust type of thing, and then and then you pretty much have to wait until 2025 and and see if any of the other conferences bite. You know, maybe the Pac 12. Who knows? We'll wait and see on that. I, I really think what you're going to find with with Tillman Fertitta uh, at the other the Rockets. You know, if I were to, to try to co- uh, compare him um, to any of the uh, the current owners in Houston, I think he is a lot closer to Jim Crane than he is Les Alexander. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's got a lot more money than Jim Crane. Yeah. Um, I, I, but because what I what I see is he is not somebody that's just gonna that, that's just gonna spend spend money um, haphazardly regardless. Um, you know, he he would be somebody that I have no doubt would be willing to tank. Um, I because <laughs> he sees the reality of I'm gonna make money as the owner of the Rockets. You know, no matter what. I think he will definitely see the path of if I have a bad team, what is the point in me spending $55 million or what is the point in me spending $85 million on payroll if I can spend $65 million on uh, payroll? Sort of like the 2011-2013 Astros. Right. I, I, you know, I think he will be much more uh, prudent like that. I'm not saying that he's going to be cheap. I'm just saying that I think he's going to be much more uh, strategic with when he spends, um, and you know, kind of like uh, the Astros situation, more like the Astros situation. And you know, if you think about when Yao Ming goes down um, with his eventually career-ending injury, and what where that left the Rockets, so Daryl Morey was ready to tank. Daryl Morey was ready to. He, he basically presented Les Alexander with two plans. One was, all right, we can tank this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can stank for a couple of years, and one was to take the route that they have. Les just, was, Les just had no interest in tanking. Um, I would suspect that uh, if they're if presented with that scenario in another five years or so, I mean, pr- provided James Harden doesn't have any catastrophic injury, the Rockets aren't going to be in a position to tank for right. at least five years, six years, seven years, whatever the case may be. But I do think with Tillman Fertitta in charge of the Rockets, that if they reach that fork in the road point where they have, you know, what role, road do they, they take, uh, there's no doubt in my mind that he would uh, authorize and maybe even, um, you know, be the uh, lead dog and saying, all right, let's go ahead and, and go Operation Shutdown on this thing and, yeah. and, and bottom it out. But the flip side is that if he sees an opportunity to contend, I'll use the Big 12 analogy, he was willing to have U of H spend a little bit uh, outside of its means on guys like Herman, Kelvin Sampson, when he thought that could be, you know, the determinant to getting to the Big 12. The flip side of this, people want to know, will he pay the luxury tax if the team is truly a contender? I would say at least there's some reason for optimism. I don't want to say that he'd do it every year. I think your Jim Crane analogy is pretty good. But I guess what I would say in the last weeks, Jim Crane's authorized a hell of a lot of spending with Justin Verlander and Cameron Maben on the logic that the 2017 Astros are worthy of that level of investment. So if Tillman sees the Rockets as a contender, is it fair to have it? I'm not saying he's going to go above and beyond to you know paying repeater luxury tax bills, but is it fair to have optimism that if the team is a contender that he will respond accordingly? I mean, I think he will. I, I, think, I think he will pay the luxury tax. But I also think that we're not far enough into 
the luxury tax with some of the bigger teams to know how much teams are really mm. going to pay. You know, Golden State probably is going to be the best litmus test of this. Um, I, I don't have my Forbes billionaires list <laughs> in front of me, but as rich as Tillman is, I'm pretty sure that the uh, Oracle owners have more than he, than he does. Yeah. And, you know, if they're not willing to pay the – Three repeater tax. If they if they actually said, all right, we're going to give Clay Thompson the max in two years, and, and they really tried to max that thing out as, as much as possible, I mean, you're talking about paying three hundred and fifty million dollar payroll. And even though they probably they probably would, would still be in the black, probably um, are are they going to be willing to do that? And and who knows from a rocket standpoint? I mean, let's let's say best case scenario, Rockets have a great year this year. They go and they have a they and they banana voted in off season. Yeah, you know they, they they get LeBron, they get Carmelo, they have Chris Paul, they have James Harden, and you know Dwayne Wade, whatever. I mean, ancillary, he wouldn't be making anything. But let's say hypothetically mm-hmm. that they they say, all right, we're going to make this happen. We're going to take care of all of you. We're going to give you all these max deals. Okay, you know you'd be looking at you know an insane expenditure. Um, by year two and three. Um, and, yeah, you're probably winning and going deep into the playoffs, but how far down that revenue road and expenditure road is he willing to go? I don't know that you can really mm-hmm. ask that of anybody because that's, you know, I don't know that the Knicks would go that far. I don't know that the Lakers would go that far. Once you start talking about a payroll that's you know, north of $150 million and $200 million yeah. in the NBA – even though you can bring that money back, um, that's that's still a pretty that's a pretty big pill to swallow just from a payroll standpoint. Right, and not even the Warriors are going that far. That's a big part of why Kevin Durant's taking that pay cut. It's not like he's taking the pay cut for the sake of bringing in more players because they're still over well over the cap. It's a matter of. Durant taking it from the standpoint of avoiding the enormous luxury tax bills. So, yeah, if the Warriors won't pay it, you certainly can't assume that, uh, that any team, let alone the Rockets, would, would go all the way. I think all Rockets fans are hoping for is just a little bit of optimism, at least over the short term, because next offseason, of course, you have Chris Paul, uh, Clint Capella getting his new deal, that sort of stuff. Um, the other angle of this that I was curious about, his celebrity. Now, you talked about, you know, their dream scenario. Well, you know, let's say they go after, which we know they'll at least place a call to LeBron James. We know Daryl swings big every summer. But in terms of recruitment, I think it's certainly fair to say that Tillman will be much more active than Les was, at least on the front lines, because Tillman's not afraid to use his celebrity. I think that certainly will be part of the package, and I think you can speak to that. The other part of it that I'm a little curious about, we've already seen him interviewed. The day that he struck the deal on Tuesday, you know, he did the interview with TMZ from his car, and they asked him about Beyonce, and while he didn't outright say, I'll, you know, give Beyonce a stake if, she, if uh, she wants it, at the same time, he didn't shut down that idea either. So I'm curious what you think about, given his celebrity, given how he'll probably approach recruiting, is this a guy who will go down the road, potentially, of, say, hey, Beyonce, or, say, Hakeem or Dikembe Mutombo, the guys that were rumored to be on the fringes of discussions this time, do you want a ceremonial 1% stake the same way that, you know, Jay-Z has with the Nets or some of the other situations like that we've seen around the league. Do you see him as a guy that's looking for maybe, you know, some more flash, some small-time stakeholders to further boost the uh, the profile of the franchise? That's the word I'll go with. 
Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, look, I think he is definitely somebody that loves the spotlight and the attention. Uh, there's no doubt about that. He never met a camera he doesn't, he doesn't like. Um, that being said, I don't know how beneficial that necessarily is. And, yeah. and I'll say this. And, I mean, Tillman is, is uh, and most people, I won't say most people, I, I would say certainly most Houstonians know who Tillman Fertitta is. How many people across the country know who Tillman Fertitta is? Certainly comparing to somebody like Mark Cuban. I think most people know who Mark Cuban is. Has Mark Cuban really been effect, an effective recruiter for the Mavericks over the last 15, 20 years? I mean, who is Mark Cuban? And, and let's not act like he hasn't been a part of the process. I mean, right, he's the infamous a big comic part of book it. With, with, with Dwight Howard that uh, turned out to be a big-time embarrassment. I just don't know if that is that important. I think you're, you know, if you're asking me who I want in charge of these, the, the recruiting, you know, leave it to, leave it to Daryl and Tad and whatever players that they want to have involved. It was, it was less Alexander involved in the recruiting. Yes. But I, I promise you that he was not saying a whole lot. I mean, Les, Les is a great guy. Mm-hmm. He really is. Les times several of my paychecks over my lifetime. And he's a, he is a really, really good guy. But that's just not his thing, and the Rockets are better off as a franchise because he, because he let his people do his thing, do their thing, mm-hmm. and for the most part, he stayed out of it. Um, I, you know, that may be something that Tillman craves, just because that, that's the kind of thing that gets him going, but I don't know how beneficial that is for the, for the, uh, for the franchise. I just, you know, he's, Tillman's not Pat Riley, he's like... Tillman, what is Tillman going to be able to talk about from a basketball standpoint to help recruit recruit people over? I just don't think that is necessary, and I think the the, the best thing about Tillman Fertitta's hire is that it's almost a lock that Tad Brown and Daryl Moore are going to be staying with the team for a very long time. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And as you mentioned, the Pat Riley example, the first thing that came to mind, you know, I know that these names get thrown out a lot as potential, you know, star recruiters and whatnot. But LeBron James left Pat Riley, the best executive there is, for freaking Dan Gilbert. You know, that's how much uh, ownership means in the grand scheme, assuming they take a step back. I mean, LeBron had everything he could want in Miami, but Cleveland had a younger core with Kyrie Irving than uh, Andrew Wiggins, who had become... Kevin Love, and so even LeBron, even though he was comfortable, had Pat Riley at the same time, that still wasn't enough to uh, close the deal on his last uh, big decision in, in that regard. I'm interested in following up a little bit more with the, the Daryl Morey and Tad Brown. I've argued for a while because Daryl and Tad are great at what they do. They're obviously safe, and I think they both have new contracts as of this year as well. So I think the pandemonium over Tillman bringing in new executives, I certainly can't see him doing that. But to take it a step further, I'm curious, is Tillman the type of guy to be hands-off and let them do their jobs, or is he, you know, does he meddle? And the reason I've been somewhat encouraged by that, I know he likes his celebrity, it might be something that he has to fight, as you were saying, but at the same time, the caliber of coaches that he's gotten to U of H, you know, as you said, he tried to pull strings for Mike Leach, uh, did ultimately close the deal with Tom Herman, uh, Kelvin Sampson, just in the last three years. When you're looking at guys like that that have significant options, Tom Herman, offensive coordinator at Ohio State, he could have gone pretty much anywhere. Um, Kelvin Sampson, at the time, a top assistant with the Rockets, he had NBA head coaching interviews. Guys that have these types of options, they're not going to go to a place, let alone U of H, which doesn't even have major conference revenue, if they think that 
you know, a Tillman or whoever the overseeing executive is, is going to be up in their business all the time. They're only going to go to a place like U of H if they see it as the perfect situation and they, and they think that they're going to be allowed to do their jobs. So I know Tillman, he has his celebrity, but at least superficially, it feels like at U of H, he's done a pretty good job of being involved without meddling too, too much. Is that a fair assessment? And is that something that you could see working with the Rockets and his, you know, relationships with Daryl Morey and Tad Brown the same way it has for him at U of H? No, I think it's, I think it's too low to tell because... Okay. In the, in the case of U of H, um, you know, Tillman really has only been involved during the good times, so, so to speak. He, he really was not that involved in the Kelvin Sampson hire. You know, that really was a, um, that actually was an Elvin Hayes, Bill Worrell, uh, Claude Drexler deal um, that they kind of were, that they, they were extremely involved in getting that done. Mac Rhodes wanted to bring James Dickey back for another year. Oh, God. Um, oh. And, and, you know, that, that was that was pretty much um, going to happen. And, you know, uh, behind the scenes, I know that Bill Worrell, Clyde Drexler, and Elvin Haynes were, had, had been talking to uh, Kelvin, and, you know, he had expressed to them that he would be interested in that job, and they really shoehorned that thing forward. So I, I don't think Tillman was super involved in that. Um, and then, really, in terms of whether Tillman uh, meddled in, in the football program, if, as far as I know, he had a he had a great relationship with, with, with Tom and his wife. I mean, they were in all the Mardi Gras parades and all the other things that were going on. Uh, and I, I would imagine that, despite him leaving to go to Texas, I can't imagine that he and uh, he and uh, Tom still aren't on very good terms. Would it have been different if the team had gone five and seven? You know, maybe so. Um, I so to say that he's not going to have his hands in the cookie jar. Um, uh, he strikes me as the type of guy that gets involved in a lot of different things. Okay. I know a lot of people that have worked um, pretty high up at, in, in Landry's and in, in the Golden Nugget that worked with him. And, you know, uh, he is he's very demanding. Um, he's, he's, not a, he's not a bad person by any means. You know, he's, he's, um, he can be difficult to work with, but I think a, a lot of successful people are like that. Yes. Uh, so do I think that he's going to, tell uh, Tad and Daryl to how to do their jobs, I, I, you know, I strongly doubt it. I mean, they're, they're, the Rockets are making so much money right. that it, you, would, you, would, you would be foolish to try to get them to change what they're doing. Um, so, I, you know, I don't really think there's a lot for him to fix, which is good, because, you know, if it's not, bro- if it's not broken, don't fix it. Um, so I think, you know, I, I think it's too soon to tell whether or not him wanting to be involved with basketball operations or business operations, whether that's going to prove to be a negative. But I, I really think that as long as Tad and Daryl are, are still at their current positions, nothing really is going to change. Yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way on that as well. Um... Matt, in closing, what I want to get back to, you mentioned, of course, Elgin being um, kind of at the forefront of the Kelvin Sampson negotiations back in 2014. That was back when uh, um, Tillman was first transitioning to not just from the board, but to chairman of the board. One of the things that I really liked this week, it seemed like everyone at Houston and Elgin, Elgin Hayes being one of them, sent out very positive things. And, uh, of course, I know no one's going to go on the record and blast the guy you know, meet him and ask, what do you think about this guy 
taking over the Rockets. No one's going to blast in any situation and say, oh, I think this guy will be terrible. But it certainly seemed like everyone from Elgin to uh, Hakeem to the athletic director, the president of the university, it seemed like universally there's a pretty positive theme throughout U of H for what he's meant for that university and his leadership. And I guess, you know, from a sports perspective, I guess the, the counter to it is, as you were saying, you know, Tillman happened to be there during some good times on the field, so maybe you don't know exactly how it goes the first time he hits a rough patch with the Rockets. But by and large, you know, as he's become more active over the last decade at the U of H athletic program, it seems like almost everyone loves the guy. So I don't want to say that that guarantees that he's going to be a great NBA owner, but the reaction of the U of H community to, um, to Tillman's, the news of Tillman and the Rockets, at least to me, it would seem mildly encouraging that the vibe from U of H is generally so positive to his involvement over the last eight years. Is that something uh, that you would kind of hang your hat on? I mean, I, I think you also, you, you got to keep in mind, though, this is like the benefactor for the university. So True. This is the guy that's writing checks left and right. So uh, you wouldn't expect the, you know, President Couture or Elvin Hayes or anyone else that's connected to U of H to say, you know, uh, anything but positive things about somebody that they count on for so much money and who I'm sure in the future, if needed, you know, to, to, to write checks if they have to buy out coaches or, or do whatever needs to be done. Uh, you wouldn't expect them to uh, say anything negative. But True. at the same time, I mean, you, you, you'd be, um, you'd have to go out of your way to find something negative uh, about Tillman's involvement in, in U of H athletics over the last, you know, and not, not just U of H athletics. I mean, he, he uh, I would say when he first joined the Board of Regents, it was, a lot less about athletics and more about getting University of Houston to be a tier one research institution and tap into some of those, the, the puff money that right now only goes to Texas and Texas A&M. I think that was as much on his plate as anything athletics-wise. I mean, um, you know, I think the, the Big 12 emerging as a possibility kind of moved him in a, in a, a different direction in terms of his focus, but Dubich is in, indebted to Tillman for a, a lot of cash and a lot of, um, you know, a lot of momentum in a lot of areas, uh, academics and, and athletics. So um, it shouldn't surprise you that um, it, it shouldn't. It doesn't surprise me, anyways, to hear all the positive things. Um, but but I do think you know the. the I would say this. I, I don't. I, I do genuinely think that um, Tillman is a Houstonian at heart, and the decisions that he makes. Um, from a basketball standpoint, um, I don't think they're going to be just totally purely business decisions. I do think that he, like Les, would like to bring championships and good times to Houston. Um, you know, this isn't somebody that um, just sees this as an investment. I think he he sees it as a not not like you're running the public utilities, but you know that that a, that a sports franchise does belong to the entire community, and that you've got to be a good steward of that for as long as you're in charge. And not, and I don't have any doubt that that you know he will, he will try to do that. Good take, um, Matt. I lied. One follow-up question for you: uh, Houston, Arizona tomorrow night. It's a pick'em game, first game of UH football season. I know we don't talk about that here, but I'm going to break the rule here. What are your thoughts tomorrow night? Does the does the major Apple White debut uh, start with a win? I, you know, I literally have no idea what to expect. I mean, I, I really don't. I mean, I have as, not as low expectations for the season as you as you could possibly have. Uh, you know, I'd love to get hyped up about Kyle Allen, but I didn't think he was that good of a quarterback at A&M. Mm. 
And I don't know where U of H found offensive linemen this offseason because their line was not that good last year. I think they lack speed at wide receiver as well. Now, Arizona's not going to be able to block them. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think U of H front seven this year could be really, really, really good. I don't know if, if they're, what their secondary will look like. But you could pretty much name any score in the book, and it would not shock me. I think it's about pick them game, so pretty much Vegas thinks the, the same yeah. thing. Um, you know, maybe uh, emotionally it's a bigger game for U of H because of all the stuff going on. Yeah. And, you know, with, 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 the, with the storm, and, and I think it's like 18 kids on the roster that lost everything. So, yeah. you know, that they're, they're going to be playing for something big out there. Um, but, I, like I said, you know, last year, when I, last year I thought the team had a legitimate chance of going undefeated. Um, this year, you know, my expectations probably are cut in half. I just, you know, I'm, I'm very lukewarm on, on Major Applewhite and on, on his defensive coordinator hire as well. So they're going to have to prove it to me first. But uh, certainly Arizona's picked, I think, towards the bottom of the pack as yeah. well. So this isn't exactly uh, the Jets taking down the Colts in Super Bowl three either if you've been pulled off the win. No, Pickham feels about right. I was a little surprised. It's on my um, – I have an informal betting league that I'm in. And, uh, yeah, I saw U of H as a .5 uh, favorite, which feels about right. But I was a little surprised there's some yeah. com- there's some computer models that I use. And, of course, they're not always right, but generally they're pretty good. And the computer models actually say that U of H should be favored by seven or eight points. Now, maybe they're putting a little bit too much weight on, you know, last year's team. That surprised me to see some of the models so bullish on them. Because, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty, but as you're saying, I mean, it could be one of those things to where, um, it, you know, Houston just has a lot more emotionally to play for, and Arizona is just sort of a run-of-the-mill, bottom-tier team in a major, major conference, so maybe there's just some, uh, you know, some goodwill for Houston that pays off in this one. I'll tell you this, I guarantee they will not blow a 34-point lead. <laughs> well, that, that's a... Um, it, it won't be a Kevin Sumlin special. We'll put it that way. It will not blow a 34-point lead. That is my promise. Yeah. Well, we appreciate that. Of course, that's Saturday, 930 on ESPN. Matt, thanks so much for the time. Uh, before you go, toss out your Twitter handle where people can find you if they're not following you already. Basically, anything else you want to plug for yourself before you go. Oh, man. I Shoot. You can you can always find me at MJ4Sports. I don't tweet as much as I used to. I have two kids, and I teach and I coach high school now. So uh, I, I, I'm crazy busy, but uh, every now and then you'll see me do some high school football games on TV. And any anytime anybody calls me to fill in or do whatever, I'm always happy to help if I have uh, time on my schedule. And, and uh, Ben, I appreciate you having me on. Sure thing. Thank you for uh, carving out some time for us here at Locked on Rockets. Matt, I'll talk to you again soon, buddy, okay? All right, thanks, Ben. Sure thing. That's Matt Jackson, longtime Houston Sports Radio voice, uh, MJ for sports on Twitter. I've Ever since I've gotten involved in media in Houston, that's been one of the guys I looked up to, a guy who, uh, in this era in which so much of sports radio tends to veer, in my opinion, too much towards entertainment, Matt has always found a quality line between, of course, the humor and the topical things that you want as host of a you know a four-hour daily program, yet also having a focus on the actual news, on things of substance. I think a lot of times in sports radio today, um, the actual news value can get lost. Matt was one of those guys who, to me, 
uh, is an example of the industry at its best. So it's always great to catch up with him, but especially on things that are tied to U of H, I trust Matt more than anyone because yes, he's a fan, he knows how they work, but he's also a fan who knows how to keep it real. He's not going to sugarcoat it. He's not afraid to be critical. That's one of the things that I respect. And as I said, one of the, as a Mizzou guy, one of the areas that has not worked out well for Mizzou, thankfully he's gone, is Mac Rhodes, now the athletic director at Baylor. And even when Mac was at U of H and it seemed like everyone in the country was heaping praise on him, he went to uh, Missouri, I believe, in early 2015, and uh, boy, Matt warned me at the time that it would not turn out well. I, you know, I took his criticism seriously, but I tried to balance it against everyone else that was, um, you know, on the national side that thought it was a home run hire, and lo and behold, uh, Matt ended up being very much right about Matt Rhodes. So that's just one example, but I trust Matt. He, ha he knows where the line is from the standpoint of fan versus uh, news value. And so when he gives you his insight on Tillman Fertitta, on the University of Houston, on the Rockets, on anything else in the Houston community, I fully trust him because he's a guy, he's been around for a long time. Just the city of Houston, the Rockets, U of H, he knows all of that stuff and the power structure extremely well. So I'm so thrilled to have him on this show for the first time. And hopefully you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. So with all that said, I will uh, wrap it right there. I think we've had a much longer than usual episode, but I thought this was a pretty good episode from the standpoint of getting more background on Tillman. So thank you for indulging me for longer than uh, you, you normally would. Before I hop off, I do want to once again acknowledge our awesome sponsors over at SeatGeek. If you haven't done already, please download that SeatGeek mobile app and enter the promo code LONBA, and that can get you a $20 rebate off of your first SeatGeek purchase. Again, promo code LONBA, use the SeatGeek mobile app or go to SeatGeek.com. As far as the show here at Locked on Rockets, we're about to crank up uh, back into a daily episode, a daily show of episodes each and every day and within the next couple of weeks. That's what we are during the season. We kind of fall back to once every uh, once or twice a week during the true dead period of the NBA offseason, which is August and September. But with training camp, uh, really within a couple of weeks of starting, we do plan on getting back to the daily show that you expect of us for nine months out of the year. So you do have that to look forward to in the weeks ahead. If you're not already following the show on Twitter, please do so at Locked on Rockets, or you can subscribe to Locked on Rockets, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Audio Boom, pretty much wherever you listen to your podcast, just search for Locked on Rockets. Really search for any NBA team or NFL team across this Locked on Podcast Network. We've got you covered. That also includes Locked on Texans, hosted by my buddy Robert Land, and also Ryan, uh, Brian Patterson over at House of Houston. They've got a good show going, and the Texans season opener is this Sunday at home against the Jacksonville Jaguars. So even if the Rockets are a little quiet these days, Days, other than the Tillman Fertitta stuff, I strongly encourage you to listen to Locked on Texans if you haven't already. And again, you can find them at the same places you uh, find Locked on Rockets or any show across the Locked on Podcast Network. Once again, I'm Ben DuBose, your host. If you're not already following me on Twitter, please do at Ben DuBose. And always feel free to reach out to me either on Twitter or by email, LockedOnRockets at gmail.com. That's how you can hit me up with questions, suggestions, advertising inquiries, pretty much anything we can do to make this a better program. So, with those plugs out of the way, I will officially wrap things right there. As always, appreciate you guys for listening. In the meantime, go out and have a good weekend, and we'll talk again early next week, hopefully with some more news on the Carmelo Anthony front. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently, so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. 
By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.